With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Blue, White and Yellow podcast from Leeds United Live, giving you the in-depth analysis on all the big talking points from Ellen Road. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Blue, White and Yellow podcast with myself, Connor McGilligan, your multimedia producer, and Joe Donahue and Baron Cross, your Leeds United Live writers. We are back with the first live show um, on Facebook. We've not done this before, normally edited and pre-recorded, so we're all a little bit nervous, you can tell. Um, but yeah, we're here to give you a little bit of a transfer roundup on everything that went on yesterday. It's the first time we've got together and spoken about it as well. We, I did one with uh, Dominic Booth yesterday from the MEN. Baron did one by himself. I did another one by myself. And we've not got JD's thoughts yet. So let's get into it. I guess there's um, no, no better place to start really than uh, with Dan James. JD, uh, we were talking about it on the live. Will it get done? Won't it get done? A couple of days ago, the rumours were coming out. Are you happy? Is it a good purchase from Leeds United? Um, I think uh, now that I've had time to sort of reconcile with it, um, I'm, I'm I'm quite content with with it. Um, I've I, I think in terms of the the options that it adds in terms of squad depth, I think it's quite quite adept. Um, you know that I think now we look at the the fact that. Jan Paveda and Helder Costa have gone out on loan, which obviously we'll get into. Um, that you know the, the wide options, I think, are stronger than they were at the beginning of the, w- of the window. And I know that's what a lot of people have been sort of clamouring after was just a little bit to, to maybe show a sign of progression, not just replacement. Because I think I know a lot of people, you know, perceived that while Junior Firpo is yet to hit the ground running, um, you know, he's he's a he's a replacement for Alioski, uh, whereas with Dan James, I think the the feeling is that he's going to be an upgrade on on Helder Costa. So hopefully that is what will will transpire on the pitch. Um, but I think a lot lots was made about the fee, and it'll be good to get your guys' thoughts on it as well. But I do I do think that that typically is the going rate for for a player of his age potential and um, you know his his quality at the end of the day. So um, all in all, I'm, I'm I'm pleased with 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 the business that's been done. Yeah, um, you're on mute there, Connor. Back of read your lips. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think Joe's last point's quite quite important. Uh, this guy's is a British player, and we all know British players do fetch a high price in the market, rightly or wrongly. So, for a, a domestic talent like that, uh, still only 23. Um, just doing a few pieces last night, a few reflective pieces on on the day and the window as a whole for this morning on on the website, and. It feels like he's been around for quite a while now, but he's slowly 23 and Leeds have got him on a five-year deal. So on paper, it does look a really, really good transfer. Um, I think 25 million in the grand scheme of things. It's probably a touch higher than you might have might have wanted to pay for him maybe three or four weeks ago when you sort of looked at what he's done at Manchester United or, or lack thereof. He hasn't really pulled up trees there, has he? I think everything I've read, obviously we're not on the beat there. So we we don't get to watch him for ninety minutes every week, but we've read obviously things from our from our colleagues at Sister Site or the Manchester Evening News, and I think there's always been this this general undercurrent that he's not quite 
good enough, really. I think for them in terms of going for a, a top four side or for for a title challenger, and I think the fans haven't quite taken to him. But clearly, um, Bielsa really, really likes him, which I think is possibly the most important fact. And reflected upon this last night, of the dozens of names that Victor Orta and his recruitment team will put together and will bring to Marcelo on long lists and short lists, very, very few names pass that acid test. Very, very few names will Bielsa give Orta the green light on, especially at a price that Leeds can pay, which Bielsa alluded to, didn't he, recently, talking about low prices or high prices. So I, I think it kind of feels it, it feels like a homecoming. I don't know how you two feel about it, but if when he if you reflect back on January 2019, he was entirely unheralded, you know, a bit like Ben White. He had not really been heard of, to be honest. In, in the previous season, so in, in 2017-18, he made one appearance for Swansea. He was possibly 19, I think, or in his late teens. And he made one appearance and it was in an FA Cup game. He was entirely out of the picture. He was an under-23s player at Swansea. Graham Potter comes in, brings Daniel James into the fray. Of course, um, there was a lot of cutbacks. They'd been relegated. And Daniel James was one of those players that they, they looked to use and looked to, to promote quickly because he was a cheaper option and he was a homegrown talent. And within five months of his first regular season of competitive senior football, Victor Orta's broken cover and gone after him, completely out of the blue. Nobody had been linked with Daniel James before that point. And ever since that time, it's kind of felt like Leeds have got some kind of ownership over him, or it's almost like a a guardianship or an adoptive son because Orta, outside, of course, I'm talking outside Swansea and I'm not going to dispute the fact that Swansea technically found him at Hull City when he was a kid. But outside of Swansea, nobody had really picked up on this guy. And for him then to be snatched away from Leeds in such a horrible fashion, I think we're all kind of bearing the scars of that transfer deadline. I know uh, Jane Mewis and myself uh, do carry the scars from that day. And the Domino's pizza we were filling our faces with, waiting for the news to happen, which never came. So after all these years, finally there's a sense of closure. And I think we can all rest easy knowing that it's somebody that Bielsa likes and Bielsa will find a use for. And I think um, a very basic profile of him as a player will suit the Bielsa system quite well in terms of his ferocious pressing and work rate, which I think is one thing Manchester United fans do agree on. Um, It is interesting to see how the dynamic is going to play out. I'm sure, Connor, you can come in on this point. Costa's obviously gone, um, so there hasn't been a net gain in terms of manpower. So, again, Bielsa very much strictly keeping to this tight squad he likes to keep. He doesn't want players kicking their heels. So, whilst Costa hasn't really done much, it was a, I wouldn't have been too uh, I don't know, aggrieved if he maybe stuck around just to be a body, but Bielsa doesn't do bodies. And I'm sure most of us would probably say that Somerville is now that guy and Somerville... This is sort of almost like a backhanded compliment for Somerville and that he is now probably firmly seen as that fourth choice with Pervader and Costa both going out. So how do you see it playing out, Connor? In, in about three or four months' time, who's going to be playing on the right and who's going to be playing on the left? Because it's worth touching upon what Bielsa said about Rafinha in the past. And unless there's a drastic change in his perception, he's not playing Rafinha as the 10. No, um, you're right. And I think that's, yeah, it's interesting when you when you look at Bielsa's quotes before on, on how he sees Rafinha. And that's that's maybe where the confusion lies and, and what me and JD were talking about the other day and we were just questioning. It's a good signing because Bielsa wants him fundamentally and, and I trust that. But 
overall in this system, where does he fit? And and if you're moving the parts and you're moving Jack Harrison around, you're moving Rafinha around, if you just sort of do that in, in a puzzle sort of way, you'd say maybe Dan James on the right, but then there's people who say he's better on the left. And then if you put him on the right, then you're going to have to switch Rafinha centrally, which why would you do that when he's so effective out wide? I mean, you saw it even at the the weekend with with Charlie Taylor. He he had just a moment, a a singular moment in that game and and he produced what he did and and obviously Leeds got the equaliser. But that's where the the tricky element of, of, of this transfer comes in, really. I mean, I was speaking to Dominic Booth at the MEN and he said Dan James is used in specific games. And I guess that there's a bit of a, a link there with Adama Traore and how, Ad- how Adama Traore in certain games is extremely good and extremely effective, but in others, he isn't. And a lot of teams go and play against Manchester United with a low block. Now, they're not going to do that against Leeds United. It's going to be, you know, teams going for Leeds, obviously Leeds going back, essentially leaving space in behind for a Dan James. But it's it's a really interesting topic of conversation because I can't see like you, Baron, Rafinha moving into that central attacking midfield role. So then is Bielsa just going to use him as an impact sub, Dan James? But then are we going to you know, spend that much money on someone who's just going to be an impact sub and who Bielsa has wanted and craved, really, for the past three years? Um, it's, it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. That's the only way I can see Leeds getting round it, moving Rafinha centrally, but I, I don't know if I'm on board with that um, you, at all. Do you think, do you think, Connor? Do you think that we'll see potentially other teams, um, you know, looking at the way that Leeds are playing with Dan James in terms of knowing that the pace that he has, knowing the work rate that he has, and potentially sitting off a little bit more? Do you think that's something that we might see, which might aid Leeds' build up a little bit better? Because, um, you know, we've seen it when when Leeds are pressed really high. I mean, we saw against Burnley, they sat off to begin that game. And mm. then after about 15, 20 minutes, they really went went after them um, when they had the ball in defence and forced them to go long quite often. I think that's potentially something which could benefit Leeds if, if you know, uh, you know, the team can focus on, on build-up a lot more because teams know that if you leave that space in behind, then someone like Dan James with the pace he's got, someone like Jack Harrison on the other side, potentially Rafinha on the other side, you know, they're going to do damage. Um, I mean, that's just something when you were talking there, I hadn't considered it previously, but it's, I, I'm starting to think that now there's a very clear physical profile that Leeds have got in terms of their wingers. You know, you look at he's, he's a we- JD, I, I see he's a weapon, isn't he? He's a complete weapon that Leeds can use. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, just like, you know, James, Rafinha, Somerville, Harrison. Harrison's obviously a little bit taller, but those three midfielders, those three wide midfielders, wingers, wide forwards, whatever you want to call them, they're all very similar in sort of stature. They're all similar, similar in terms of that they've got explosiveness. They've they've got straight line speed. They control their 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 lower body really well with that that, that center of gravity. Um, there seems to be a definite you know a style that Bielsa's kind of wanted in that position. And I think he's now got three very good options and Harrison. Um, obviously, Harrison is a good option. Just stylistically, he's a little bit different um, in that in that role. We'll speak to Bielsa before Liverpool, so we're not going to speak to him until the 10th. So that's going to be nine days from now. So we're going to have a little bit of bit of time to kind of mull this over. But I'm sure one of the many questions he'll get is going to be around this, this Dan James signing and how it fits into the makeup of the squad and how he's going to use them. I suppose the only caveats I would give to the previous comments on Rafinha as a number 10, which he gave last November, the makeup of the squad is a bit different. 
Um, Bielsa did say in that answer, which I don't have to hand now, but from reading it last night, he did say that there were qualities which allowed Rafinha to be a threat through the middle. But at that point, he had no plans to play him anywhere other than on in the wide areas. So the squad is obviously different in terms of makeup and composition. So he may well come back and say, that was then, this is now. The squad is different. I've got different qualities in different parts of the pitch. And now I do want to use him in the middle. Um but if you are taking that at face value, then it's going to be interesting to see how they play this out because all three of them have cost decent money. All three of them are there to play. Harrison is the one that has played in the middle in the past, but as a nine, when when Bamford's been missing and Roof was missing in that, that first season or two under Bielsa. But with Rodrigo and Roberts there, you can't see Harrison moving into the middle um, unless there's an absolute catastrophe up top with injury. So... It's really hard to call, but I'm sure Bielsa will, will come back to this point. That I've got a very, very small squad here. On average, I've always got four players missing. And across uh, sort of across a campaign, one of those three will almost always be missing. But last season would show that Rafinha and Harrison have got a very good injury record. I mean, Harrison is is renowned for how little he misses. You know, he's always available. You know, we've looked at the numbers ever since that Villa game in December 2018. Is it, is it one or two games he missed last season that he didn't start? But other than that, it's been a consecutive run of starts. So it is really, really tough to see how all three of them play at the same time. Yeah, and and they not... were the City games as well, weren't they? They were the yeah, yeah. The, the games that he was literally ineligible for. And so, was, you know... was it much after... Was it West Ham away he didn't start? Because Costa started, didn't he? Costa yeah, did it might have been, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nick Harrison's place. But yeah, like I say, apart from City, what, one game he's missed? Hmm. Yeah, and it, it does seem a little bit of a, a level up, doesn't it, to Helder Costa? And I think I think we've mm-hmm. we've got to touch on that really in, in terms of in terms of that sort of um, you know profile of player um, and where he's been at. And he got I feel like he's got a lot of flack from Manchester United fans over the past couple of years. But I made the point yesterday on on our Facebook Live that going from Swansea, you know, with with no disrespect, when you're playing with Ollie McBurney, Matt Grimes, Connor Robertson, Co. To then go in and playing with Paul Pogba, Bruno Fernandez, you know the Harry Maguire, that step up is—I mean, you never see it, do you? And, and oh, it's fast, and it's a massive and, step up. And, and but as well, Baron, to play fifty games, to start two out of the three games this season, it, it, he clearly was favoured by Solskjaer, and and I think people are maybe missing that—the fact that he's moved from a mid-table Championship side to the upper echelon of the English Premier League. I think with all the options available to, to Solskjaer, I, I wouldn't say that th- this season he would have been favoured um, going forward. I think that's clear. You know, he's always been someone who has perhaps been on the periphery a little bit. I think he arrived with the, you know, Manchester United don't sign players for £15 million. They sign them for £50 million. They sign them for, for, for 60 70 We've seen that, you know, £15 million seemed very much like a, a stopgap for, for a player at that time, didn't it? Um, you know, they, they needed a wide player. They weren't going to get their top targets. Dan James was available. Um, but again, none of that means that he isn't a good player. None of that means mm-hmm. that he isn't a Premier League player. I firmly believe that he's both. Um, I think he's he's someone who is going to add quality to Leeds. That's, that's you know, that's that's a given. We, we wouldn't have seen Bielsa pursue him for so long. We wouldn't have seen the club insist time and time again that they were only going to um, they were only going to make moves late in this window if they truly believed that it was a, for a player who could who could improve the squad. Bielsa's own words, where he said multiple times, the only time that we're going to sign a player is if we believe that that player can overcome the one who's currently in the, that position. You know, they've made it very clear that 
they seriously trust in and believe. And we only need to look at the picture that uh, the, 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 of Jan, Dan James signing last night or yesterday or whenever it was during the day um, of him, Angus and Victor Orta. You know, they're, they're all absolutely beaming. It's not like the signings that we've seen for, for, for others in the past, for example. You know, this is one which they're genuinely pleased to get finalised. Obviously, that's that comes with the territory of what happened in 2019. But, you know, it's it's one where I think uh, even the, the, the higher-ups at the club are, you know, very, very content with, with, with adding him to the squad because they know the quality that he's going to bring. They know how much he's going to benefit Bielsa. They know how, how I mean as reserved as he is, they know how pleased it will make Bielsa that he does have this 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 additional talent at his disposal. Can I ask you about the um the valuation? I know we touched on it at the start, but there's a lot of people who are a little bit upset about the valuation, obviously what Leeds have paid for Dan James. I mean there's a couple here in this window. The, the window's been absolutely nuts and we can all sort of, you know, agree on that one. But Willock 25, Ramsdale 30, White 50, Buendia 38. And, you know, with the appearances that Dan James has had at Manchester United, you you could argue that none of those players that I've just mentioned have, you know, had that experience at that level like Dan James has had. So that's a a, a big sort of feather in his cap, isn't it? And, and allegedly, according to a few sources as well, Leicester were interested, Everton were interested. interested. So maybe it's not as bad a... I don't know, signing in terms of valuation than what, what people are making out, Baron. No, I think we've been spoiled by the fact that Rafinha, Llorente, Cock, they all came for in and around £15 million and that's kind of altered our expectations a little bit and we've we've now got very, very high expectations of what Victor Orta can do in the window. But as we've said, we're talking about a British player here and we all know that, rightly or wrongly, British players do go for a premium. You know, I think Willock to Newcastle is just, I mean, that is just such a great example of, of overpricing domestic players. I mean, Willock... It, very, very talented footballer and, and finished the season remarkably well for Newcastle. But what was it, seven matches he scored in a row, something like that? And scoring in seven matches in a row should not equate to what £28 million transfer fee or whatever it was. Um, Ramsdale too. Ramsdale. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's probably an even better example. I mean, just two relegations in a row as a goalkeeper. I know a lot of goalkeepers can't be blamed for for poor defences or poor teams. But, I mean, you look at the CV and it doesn't look good, does it? I know he got called up to England, but for a backup as well, I mean, Arsenal aren't even going to play him. So, it's crazy, the market. So, I think I think 25 for Dan James isn't dreadful, especially when we're talking about a player that we know Bielsa likes. We're not talking about a panic buy. We're not talking about somebody we haven't heard of before or somebody that's just popped up out of the ether. This is somebody they've wanted for two and a half years. We know that he fits Bielsa's system. Bielsa thinks... He can he can do a job for them, um, and as I say, I think our expectations because of Rafinha last year, we are just probably expecting a bit too much. So twenty five for Dan James, I don't think is terrible business for somebody that's played more than seventy times for Man United in the past two years. Yeah, and and I think with the the Ramsdale one as well, you know, the the, the Arsenal know they're going to lose Bernd Leno at the end of the season. His contract's up, so they're kind of they're they're forced to pay a, a premium, especially because he's English, because they know that. In a year's time, clubs are going to hold them over a barrel because they know that, you know, you need a goalkeeper. We've got one you want. The market is pretty thin for goalkeepers at the moment. So, um, you know, we're going to charge whatever we want. And to be fair to Sheffield United, they've done that this season. But, um, yeah, the Willock one's a good example. There's no way that seven goals in seven games and, and you know, status as a bit part player um, previously 
would have ordinarily equated 22 million for for you know a player coming from perhaps a different league or or uh, coming from a different club so i think it it's it's the going rate you know that's you you can't argue with it and if if it's a player which you know Bielsa has wanted for so long as as we as we so suspect you know when manchester united say well yeah he's available but he's available at this price the decision is then on Leeds United to say, well, we have the cash in reserve. We are able to, to structure this deal favourably over the years of his contract, which is likely to be the case, given that's how they did last year's business. It's not a when when you look at how much it's going to impact this year's accounting period. It's not an awful an awful deal. And when you think about how, I think there was you know some study which said that each Premier League goal is roughly worth around a million pounds to Premier League clubs. If he gets five goals and five assists, he's paid off this year's instalment in terms of what what will likely be paid. And then, you know, you've got that for five years. You've got that until 2026. So it's an investment. You know, you look at his age as well. It It is. It's an investment rather than, you know, this 25 million cash has just been spent on a, on a player who was free to leave a, a Premier League rival. Is this... Um... And I'm going to be really direct here. Could this signing as well be future-proof for Rafinha potentially leaving Leeds United? Baron. <laughs> See that target? I saw Baron's face. I thought, you're coming <sighs> first. Such a hospital pass. Um, be honest. I don't know where to start. Yeah, I mean... So much of Leeds across the next two or three years is going to depend on, on on which direction the club goes in and if they can establish and if they can keep pace with their best players and their aspirations. They finished ninth last year. If they match that again this year, then that's going to keep you know, the likes of Rafinha and Phillips happy. But at some point, I mean, I, this is like this is a sort of question Bielsa just dodges and says it's a hypothetical question, and I can't predict. <laughs> it is hypothetical, because, yeah, because I will look. I will look stupid if I get there, if I predict the future wrong. But how to put? I don't know how to phrase it really. If if Leeds can break into the top six or top seven within within two or three years, then you would argue there's no real cause for Phillips, Rafinha, and the like to look for moves elsewhere. If they remain ninth or regress or consolidate to become basically a mid-table club consistently for the next two, three, four years, and those players continue on the trajectories that we think they will, then unfortunately, the big money offers are going to come in. And I think Angus, to his credit, has acknowledged this. And I think across various interviews, they have said that at some point, every player does have their price, as much as we hate to admit it. And... If you're saying Leeds are a, are a steady mid-table Premier League club in three years' time and Phillips is still there and somebody comes in and offers 80, 90, you know, 100 million, I mean, the, the way the market's going, a defence midfielder of Phillips's quality could be going for something like 80, 90, 100 million in, in three or four years. It is hard to see Leeds saying no to that. I mean, that is mega money. That is crazy money. Um. And I, and I suppose, I mean, I've used Phillips as the example, but I think the same probably applies to Rafinha. He's clearly a very, very ambitious player. Evidently doesn't have anywhere near the association or links with Leeds that Phillips does. So whether we like it or not, it wouldn't be as hard for him to leave as it would be for Phillips, which I'm sure it would be a massive wrench for him to move. 
And who knows, he, he may well just want to spend his career at Leeds. And clearly he's playing for England now. So playing in Europe is not stopping him from, from being England's player of the year, the best the best player for the three Lions across the entire year. I mean, frightening. We can talk about that in a moment. So for Rafinha, yeah, I mean, Daniel James, five-year deal. I don't know where you can stand on this, but in terms of a pound-for-pound player, I'd say Rafinha is a player I'd rather have. I think he's the player that would fetch more attention in the, the wider international transfer market. And at some point, if he continues where he started last year, Again, if something like 60 or 70, 80 million gets offered for Rafinha, the club cannot say no to that in a year or two. They cannot say no to that. Yeah, I think so, mate. I mean, it's it's, it's one of those as well where we don't like to think about it. But, I mean, I just look at Leicester, you know, and obviously... Yeah. The, the sort they've sold a lot of best players, haven't they? Yeah, the five-year plan they had. What was it? Was it Mares? Then it was Kante. I think there was another Maguire, obviously. Maguire and drink water went... Drink water, yeah, that's natural, isn't it? And I think clubs have got to future proof, but they'll know in the back of the minds about Rafinha and Phillips. And I think that's why the club really needs to um, get to that next level pretty quickly. And in, in, in a weird way, Baron, there is there is a little bit of pressure on it, isn't there? Like just to get the, you know to obviously keep the the star, you know, players, the X Factor, who's selling all the shirts and all this sort of stuff, and entertaining the crowd and getting the crowd in. It's it's a bit of pressure, isn't it? Yeah, and I think Joe Joe made a really useful point there that I hadn't, which was the contract situation. And ultimately, that is what's going to give Rafinha the power mm. because um, when it does get to next summer, you've got two years to go and they will need to have a seriously long look at the contract negotiations because they will know that if they don't make Rafinha an offer that he likes, they know that the following year, so in 2023, he'll have a year to go and we'll, we'll be very much in the territory there of, you know, he's going to walk away for free unless you sell him. So at some point, the power will go into Rafinha's hands. And as it stands, I mean, there was that wonderful piece with the Players' Tribune last week with some outstanding quotes from him and, and some personal thoughts, which based on what the Players' Tribune say is, it's, it's it's all from him personally. It's a first-person piece. So assuming it's all it's all correct and, and, and sort of in order, He's in love with the club already and in love with the fan base and has been very, very happy so far. And there's no no suggestions at all that he wouldn't want to sign a new contract as it stands. But um, as Joe said there, it, it will all come down to how Leeds progress as a club and whether they can offer Rafinha and, importantly, Deco, his agent, the what looks like the platforms then extend and kick on with his career. Because we've seen that with all the best Brazilian players, they, they are incredibly ambitious once they get to Europe. And they want to keep progressing and keep moving forward. And as somebody who grew up watching Ronaldinho, he will know that he wants to be playing Champions League football sooner rather than later. So, yeah, there is going to be some some tough conversations to be had when it comes to renewing his contract. And um, and that's what Victor Altrinaga is going to get paid to, to sort out. Yeah. Um, yeah, just I'm going to read out just a comment here. You obviously won't be able to to, to see it on the uh, on the podcast, but you'll be able to hear it. Obviously, do you feel that we might go a little bit more next summer? Um, we'll be a consistent Premier Premier League team by then. I think the 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 sort of uh, gap has always been, and and it's been you know the the timeline by the by the the club has always been three year span, hasn't it? And then they can you know maybe knock on and and do things, but staying in the Premier League for three years has always been the thing. But I just wanted to talk to you about how much Leeds have spent in this window. Baron, obviously, an in excess um, of 50 million, which they might not have planned to do. Obviously, Jack Harrison, Junior, Firpo, um, now Dan James, amongst a lot of youth additions as well. It, have Leeds done enough this window? 
Well, time will tell. Again, it's it's another fence sitting answer. Um, I think the, the central midfield um, conundrum still bothers me a touch, but mm. um, a, a lot depends on Adam Forshaw and how he continues. Because if he continues to kick on from what we saw against Crew, then I'm quietly confident that that there's there's still something he can do in this season. But that that does seem like an area where they're light. Um, I mean, I did this last night with a piece. I think left back is surprisingly light. We've got Furpo in and people kind of suddenly thought it was solved. But if Furpo and Dallas are out at the same time, who plays there? Um, Liam McCarron is kind of the raw option, which, I mean, he feels like he's even further away than Leif Davis was. At least, I think at least with Leif Davis, we'd seen enough to think that if he plays, we're all fairly confident because I think mm. he, he impressed every time we saw him, especially with the 23s. But McCarron feels like he's still got a fair few hurdles to clear first. So if not them, then you're looking at maybe a very restricted uh, alternative in the likes of Stroik or Cooper, who, of course, have got the left foot, but will not have anywhere near the kind of dynamism needed for a left-back in, in that Bielsa system. So that feels a touch light, and that then has a knock-on for central midfield, doesn't it? Because if Thurpo is missing and you play Dallas there, then again, you're looking at the central midfield option that gets weakened. But apart from those two, I do feel quite confident about the rest of the squad. I know that before Man United, Cock was was an emerging option behind Phillips as the DM and somebody that we were growing in confidence before that pretty difficult afternoon for himself. For sure, again, is somebody that we know in Bielsa's first season was used generally as Phillips' understudy. So um, I think the quality is there and it's a small squad, but Bielsa wants to run with a small squad. So I think it's, it's the age-old question of, Feels a bit small. Let's hope they don't get too many injuries or suspensions. And if they don't, then I think there's enough quality there to 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 consolidate where they were last season. Elder well, Costa to Valencia. We're talking earlier on, and you mentioned it in terms of depth with 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 Helda Costa and, and would you have let him go? And um, I don't I don't know how you stand on that, Baron, but I think. The, the issue with Helder Costa is uh, at that point with that, you know, the starting squad, the match day squad, I think Helder Costa was probably the most ineffective when you look at it generally. And for me, it was it was a, the right deal. And I think we always naturally worry about depth in this Leeds United side, don't we? But as we've spoken about multiple times before, Marcelo Bielsa doesn't like people just hanging around who are not going to be competing for a first team place. And with you've seen it with Jan Paveda, you've seen it with Helder Costa now, obviously. I think in his head, that's it, really. And, and obviously, it looked like there was an option to buy in that Valencia yeah. deal. Well, I mean, if, if Valencia obviously don't take up the option, maybe he'll impress in La Liga, maybe another La Liga club will come in for him. But when a player is put out on loan, it normally signifies the end at Leeds United, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's a very astute observation. I think it's true of, of a lot of loan players. I think Paveda is somebody that they were, the club were, um, went to great lengths to try and emphasise that they do want him back and they do feel Paveda's got um, got a future at the club and they want to just give him this year out and, and they hope that there is something they can they can tap into next summer mm-hmm. if, he, if he kicks on. So I think when it is somebody they want to have back, they make an effort to make that clear. But I think Casilla and Costa do very much fit the bill of all things being well, that's probably the end for them. Um, Costa, of course, has been a, a pretty major investment. I know that when he first arrived from Wolves, you know, they, they hadn't spent money like that for a little while, had they, on, on players like Costa. So it, it hasn't worked out. I think if you're being as fair as you can, you would say, yes, he played his part in the promotion season. 
regardless of his his numbers and his statistics, he was a member of a title-winning squad. And you know, who knows what his impact was off the pitch? You know, for all we know, he was a massive uh, character at the training ground and somebody that was was quite important to that squad dynamic. That's obviously not the sort of thing we see. But on the pitch, his impact has always been fairly limited um, to fits and starts. You know, we're talking 10, 20, 30 minutes at a time, mm. but never across 90 minutes over six, seven, eight weeks. So, yeah, I think in terms of in terms of losing a body, it was a, you know, a little bit of a blow. But then when you actually look at it, I think we've, we've already touched on this in, in various ways. But Somerville is kind of somebody you would rather have that chance now, you know, it's all well and good having Costa as a body in the squad, but how many of us would actually look at him and think, I'm pleased he's getting a chance or, you know, I feel he's going to make a difference. You know, let's say, God forbid, James and Rafinha or James and Harrison or Rafinha and Harrison both got injured and opened up a, a wide slot. I think most of us now would probably say, play Somerville, Marcelo. I think that's probably where, where Costa's stock had gotten to. And I'm sure for him as well, he probably needed a fresh start. I know players do try and stay away from social media and try to ignore the noise. And But I'm sure it, the message or the, the sort of the feeling of the fans has permeated its way through to him in some way. Or maybe he he can even harshly sort of self-judge himself and, and see that it's just not working out. I'll tell you what as well, Baron, you know, the profile of Valencia, you know, playing at the Mestalla, you know, a very historical club in, in Spain, 100%. Like for him to get that move for for his form at this moment in time and towards the back end of last season, he's got a good agent, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're all kind of thinking the same thing there, aren't we? George Mendes is, is, is a man that's very good at oiling the wheels of the transfer window. If, if a client comes to him and says, I want to move, then pretty much he always finds a way to, to make it happen. And like you say, whether Valencia want him or not, I mean, obviously <laughs> we're not we're not particularly close to Valencia, so we can't possibly comment. But either way, it looks a pretty nice move for Helder on paper, doesn't it? Going to a warmer climate, a bit closer to friends and family in Portugal. And as you say, a Liga club, which has got an amazing fan base and a really, really impressive stadium to play at. So I think it's, it's a move that he'll be happy with, especially given how little he was playing at, at Leeds. But yeah, I think I think Mendes has once again earned his money. Very demanding as well, by all accounts. I've read loads of things before that apparently they're they're not happy if they're not contending for the title. Really? Uh, apparently, yeah, very very demanding fan base. So it'll be be interesting to see how he gets on there. But obviously, some more moves in the in the window as well. Robbie Gotts, Jordan Stevens. I don't know with Robbie Gotts and Jordan Stevens. It seems. It seems like it's never really worked out for them at Leeds, has it? They've never really been given the opportunity. The Robbie Gotts opportunity really that stands out was the 1-0 loss at Arsenal in the cup where he played and did okay he did all right but Jordan Stevens in particular for the for the the hype train that was around him at that moment in time it's it's never worked has it no and you know, Bryce's animals you're the one that went out to, to Wrexham yeah. of course and and we're left with I think Bobby Camoir is is the remaining player that's under contract and, and out of the picture completely so I'm, I'm hoping he'll find some sort of resolution maybe maybe as a free agent if Leeds can facilitate that but yeah, I think for all three of those, um, they're the wrong side of 20 now to be sitting around in the 23s. I think Marcelo addressed this issue last week when we spoke about Niall Huggins. But it, to his mind, he, he's got to look at these players and he doesn't want to hold them back. And at some point they reach, I think a peak was the word he used, with the 23s in PL2. And at some point they then need to to flourish and move on and, and find a sterner test to try and kickstart their careers. And we've seen it with Oliver Casey moving out to Blackpool. But you know, I think these conversations are had. It was pretty clear from, from the way pre-season was treated that 
none of these players were in the picture. None of them featured for, for in any of the friendlies. None of them are featured in training at all. They've been training on their own. They've all got one year on their deal left. And I think it just made a lot of sense to go and try and find at a club. But this is this is the quality problem that, that big clubs have. You know, everybody I'm sure in the stands would love to see five, six, seven homegrown academy prospects in their first team. But in, in a global game where competition is fierce, especially in the Premier League, you can't have any kind of sentiment. You've got to go and find the best players you can for the best value you can and play in the best way that you can. And right now, in a tight squad especially, you know, when, when, we're talking about a head coach that likes to run with a small squad as well. You know, We're not talking about a, a manager that would like to run with 25, 30 players and he can dedicate 10 slots to the likes of Robbie Gotts, Jordan Stevens, and Bryce Hazano. We're talking about somebody who runs with 17, 18 cast iron senior talents with a very, very small select few, four or five from the 23s ranks. And with the investment that has been with the 23s in recent years, we've basically been cherry picking the best players from other academies. Unfortunately, not all players are equal in football. And I think Robbie, Jordan and Bryce have found themselves superseded by, by new acquisitions and... I think there's a stage now where they have to have that difficult conversation and, and basically be told to go and make a career for themselves. And, and who knows, in years to come, they may well prove that Leeds were wrong to get rid of them. Yeah, you can, in a weird way, hope hope they do, really. You know, because oh, yeah, definitely. You, you want the best, don't you? But you think with like Leo Kielder, Louis, Louis Bate coming in, you know, Amari Miller, they're definitely looking at that Somerville, step up, aren't they? Gellhart, Greenwood, Dremay. I mean, Hosanna's not going to play for the 23, so that's Cody Dremay's around. And... Bryce is on, I think he's even 22 now, and he'll want to make a career. These players want to make a career for themselves. I mean, they don't want to be just sat around until the age of 26, 27, waiting for the odd chance they might get. You know, they're ambitious young lads and they want to go out and um, and make a career for themselves. And, and I mean, I, I don't know all of Matt well. I, th- I know Robbie got us a little bit, and you know, he's a top, top lad and he's got a fantastic attitude. And I'm sure we all, we all hope they do succeed. Yeah, 100%. And um, positive news Calvin Phillips, Baron. Uh, England's yeah. player of the year and now he had 40,000 votes um, in my head that's 40,000 Leeds fans so <laughs> is, that, is that doing him a disservice I mean he was he was incredible wasn't he in the Euros and and the level the level he he went to I mean I put a, I put a video out on our um, Twitter yesterday and it was only can't have been can't have been more than 10 months ago 11 maybe of his uh his first England cap and he was saying you know I'm just happy to be here we know how humble and and all this sort of stuff he is and I'm just happy to be here and I hope I can start and you know all this sort of stuff and he just seemed in awe of the place and now as we've said multiple times it just seems to be one of those things he turns up to England and yeah I'm here you know he's got a bit of swagger about him he feels com- comfortable and a, a comfortable Calvin Phillips is a dangerous Calvin Phillips and for me he he thoroughly deserved the award. And, and wasn't it nice as well to see the performance that Declan Rice put on? You know, a Declan, yeah. Rice, a Declan Rice who's, what, three or four years younger than Calvin, which a lot of people forget. And Yeah, I do forget that, yeah. He was so articulate and giving him the award. And, you know, there's always a rivalry, isn't there, between who's better, Declan Rice or Calvin Phillips. But it just looks like the great mates. Yeah, it was really, really, really nicely done. The timing was quite strange, wasn't it? So if England just put it out there right in the midst of the transfer window, like the busiest two hours of the entire <laughs> summer window, and they they sort of put out this amazing news. But yeah, I mean, it does just sum up what an amazing 12 months he's had and his, the way his career is going is, is quite scary, to be honest. He's, he's only 25, isn't he still Calvin? So, I mean, 
you would, in theory, his peak is another five years from now. It's a frightening prospect. I mean, he really is turning into a a, a world class footballer. You know, to be voted, regardless of who's doing the voting, to be voted the best player for England in a year they've reached a Euro twenty twenty final. First time in fifty five years they've reached a major final, and Phillips has been adjudged to be the best player across the tournament and preceding it. Just, just amazing, and and like you say, you know what an what a, an amazing young man, and how humble he is, and, and how polite he is, and we all just wish the best for him, don't we? It's just, it's just been such a lovely, lovely story, and I'm sure again, all roads seem to lead back to Marcelo, don't they? You know, I think Calvin does just seem to credit Marcelo with this, and and who knew what Marcelo was kickstarting when he moved Phillips into that, into that defensive role. Yeah, hundred percent, and and obviously there's it's strange now because I've got so much of an interest in England. I thought to myself, yeah, it's because it's the Euros, you know, it's been a horrendous year. I'm I'm loving it and all this sort of stuff. But when you you get down to the nooks and crannies of it, it is just because Cal- it's because Calvin Phillips is there, and now my interest is peaked even more because obviously we've got Patrick Bamford there, and he's conducting press conferences by himself and. You know, he's he's talking about Marcelo Bielsa and his development and how Calvin's helped him there. And just when you look at Leeds three or four years ago and where we are now, it, it's in, it's insane, isn't it, Baron? The, the just the upward trajectory of the club in general. As a fan, it just must be be crazy. You know, haven't been somebody that's that's watched the club um, through the ups and downs across the past 10, 15 years. It must be just crazy the idea of thinking that Leeds would have two players in the the senior England squad. Um, when you think about those losses to, to Sutton and to Histon in the cup, and you think about how bad it got at some stages, and think like there's two of them in the England squad, just mm. it's just crazy. For people like me that have come in not long before Bielsa, it's it's sort of become the norm quite quickly after promotion and seeing how well these players have played. But yeah, it's just it's just it's amazing, isn't it? And you wonder how many more they'll get. I mean, you, I mean, you look at the, the 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 lower age groups. Charlie Cresswell with the 21s. I mean, that really caught me off guard. I think I'd yeah. seen the, the the headline in passing and just assumed that he was with the 20s. But even with the 21s, I mean, that England under 21s are pretty much exclusively populated by players playing regularly in the Premier League. So for, for Cresswell to get in there with, with very, very little first-team exposure at least just speaks volumes for how much he's impressing in PL2. And and then at the England under 20s, there's what, another four? Another four or five Leeds players in there? Mm. Um Amazing. If they all continue to sort of progress together and stay at Leeds, yeah, in five, four, five years, maybe even sooner, you are looking at having three, four, five England players um, from Leeds. Guys, that is going to be your lot for this week. So thank you so much. We have thoroughly enjoyed this week's episode. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star rating on all of your favourite podcast providers, that would be great. Apologies again for the technical issues we've had this week. We'll be sorting that out, no problem, for next week. But guys, have a great day, and we'll see you in a bit. Cheers. Cheers.